You know, this morning, uh, I'm going to talk to you about something that the disciples talked to Jesus about. You know, they came to Jesus, and Jesus was talking about so much about coming back, coming back, coming back, that one day the disciples actually came to him. They said, okay, what is going to be some of the signs that are going to occur right before you return? And Jesus began to tell of some of the things that would happen in the days we're living in. How many of you believe we're living in the days of the second coming of Jesus? Man, you got to be blind not to see it. He said, we know the season, but not the day or the hour. Well, the, 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 uh, the signs that he focused in on, I want to I focus in on this morning, is found in verse 10, 11, and 12, and 13. Look what he says in verse 10. He said, then many. Now, everybody say many. many. Now, the word many there literally in the Greek means majority. So we're talking at least 51%. Then many will be offended. Everybody say offended. offended. Will betray one another and will hate one another. Now, this is a progression. An offended person will eventually betray. And if a betrayal is not dealt with, it will ultimately lead to hatred. You say, John, how do you know this? Well, the reason I know this is Proverbs 18 verse 19 says, a brother offended it's harder to win than a strong city. Now, in the days of Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, what did strong cities have around them? They had walls. What were walls built for? Protection. They would keep out those people that you believed were against you, and they would allow in those people that you believed were for you. Well, this is exactly what happens to a person when they get offended, when they get hurt. They begin to build walls. New Testament doesn't call them walls. They're not physical walls. They're walls we build in our mind, in our emotions. They're called strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5 say, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down. Now look at this, pulling down of strongholds. What are these strongholds? He goes on to listen, casting down every imagination. A better rendering of that would be reasoning or arguments. And bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So these strongholds are thought processes or reasonings that we develop deep within our souls that are contrary to the word of God. Now, how many of you know the word of God is rooted in his very nature? And the nature of God is love. God doesn't have love. He is love. So love, the love of God always seeks to give, to give, to give. A person that's been wounded, been hurt, now begins to develop thought processes, reasonings that seek to protect, protect, protect. I've been hurt. I don't want to get hurt again. Now, this makes us a candidate for betrayal. Now, a lot of people don't understand what the true meaning of betrayal is. They think of the extreme like Benedict Arnold or Judas. A betrayal is when I seek my benefit or my protection at the expense of one I have a relationship with. So if you've been hurt and your thoughts now start reverting to protect, 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 contrary to the word of God, now push comes the shove, you're going to protect yourself at the expense of one you have a relationship with. That is a betrayal. And if a betrayal is not dealt with, it will ultimately lead to hatred. Now, a lot of Christians really don't understand what hatred is. Hatred in the Greek is the Greek word that literally means loveless. So if you want a picture of it, it's a vacuum with zero love in it. So a lot of people think people that hate are very emotional. No, that's not true. A person who hates can have no emotion. Absalom hated his brother Ammon, but neither spoke good nor evil to him. He had the absence of love in his heart towards his brother. 
And so what Jesus is saying is, in the last days, many are going to be offended. And this massive offense is going to lead to numerous betrayals. And the betrayals, if they're not dealt with, are going to go to hatred. And the Bible says you hate your brother. You're a murderer. And don't even think you have eternal life abiding in you. And so then Jesus goes on to say what's going to happen as a result of this. In the next verse, in verse 11, he says, Then many false prophets are going to rise up and deceive many. Everybody say many. many. Who are the many they're going to deceive? The many that are offended. Wow. So you know what that tells me? That an offense is the breeding ground for deception. Wow. Are you with me? Yeah. Now there's only one problem with deception, and that's this. It's deceiving. The person who's deceived believes with all their heart they're right when in reality they're wrong. That's scary. Now notice Jesus says many false prophets are going to rise up. False prophets are called by Jesus in the Gospels as wolves in sheep's clothing. Now I want you to notice they're not wolves in shepherd's clothing. Everybody's always looking for the false prophet behind the pulpit. I have learned in my 30 years of ministry that there are a whole lot more false prophets in the chairs than there are behind the pulpits. Now, there's something I've learned about these wolves. Everybody say wolves. wolves. Predators. They travel in packs. Okay, now the goal of the wolf pack is to isolate the sheep from the herd. There's actually protection for the sheep in the herd. But the moment they can isolate a sheep from the herd, that sheep is meat for their table. Proverbs 18.1 says this. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. Now, the scary thing is the isolation occurs where? Here, thought processes, reasonings. So you can be a member of a huge family, be a member of a huge church, and still isolate yourself because it occurs here. Good preaching, John, amen, thank you so much. I'll help some of you this morning, all right? So then Jesus goes on to say in verse 12, he says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, the word lawlessness there is the Greek word anomia. Anomia simply means this, not submitted to the authority of God. So in other words, lawless thinking will abound because many have been offended. That is thinking that is contrary, strongholds, contrary to the love of God, to the word of God. Lawlessness will abound, Jesus says, and this lawless thinking will cause the love of many to grow cold. Now, the scary thing is here, lawlessness abounds in our society. But Jesus isn't talking about society. He's talking about the church. How do I know that? Because the Greek word that he uses there for love, the love will grow cold, is not phileo. It's not eros. It's not storge. Those are three Greek words that deal with the love that the world has and Christians have both. The word that he uses is agape. Agape is the love of God that is shed abroad in a believer's heart. It is the love that Jesus said the world cannot receive. So what Jesus is talking about here is not society. He's talking about inside the four walls of the church. Are you with me? So what's going to happen is you're going to have massive offense, Jesus said, right before my second return. 
the majority, literally over 51% of the people are going to be offended. That offense is going to lead to betrayals, even into hatred. Deception will run rampant. As a result of the lawless thinking that occurs from the offense, the love, the agape, the love of God in many believers are going to grow cold. How do I know for sure he's talking about believers? Because of the very next verse. He says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. You do not look at a person out in society that has never heard the gospel before. If you endure, you'll be saved. He hasn't started the race. He's not even in the race. The person you say that to is somebody who's already in the race. Somebody who's a believer. Now, the person that can hurt you the deepest is the person who is closest to you. David said it like this. It wasn't an enemy that reproached me. I could handle that. I expect that from my enemies. He said, but it was you, my brother, my equal, my companion. We walked into the house of God and heard the word of God together. You're the one that's lifted yourself up against me. What I've learned is the greatest potential offenses occur by the people that are closest to us. Why? Because we expect the world to not treat us well. Our expectation on the world is zero. But then we have an expectation level on believers about here, on our spouses about here, and on our pastors about here. So if the world does that much for us, they've been that much of a blessing. But if a believer only does that much, they've offended us by this much. If our pastor only did this much, he's offended me by this much. The greater the expectation, the greater the potential offense. Now, if you want to put all believers in two categories of offenses, of all offended believers in two categories, you can do it. It's simply this. Those who have been genuinely mistreated. And second, those who think they have been mistreated. Now, I'm not dealing with category two today. These people have inaccurate information or they have accurate information and they have discerned inaccurately. I'm not dealing with them today. I want to deal with those who have been genuinely mistreated. Now, here's the question. If you have been genuinely mistreated, do you have the right to be offended? Now, here's the thing you got to understand. You have the right to do anything. You have the right to go to hell if you want to. And God will protect your right because God created you as an individual with free choices. Okay? That's the thing people got to understand. But if you want to walk with God in his presence, you do not have the right to be offended. Yeah, but John, you just don't know what they did to me. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? Let me see your hands. Come on. Now, I don't want to pray for you for lying. Just every hand. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, you just don't know what they did to me? Come on. How many of you have ever said that? Don't raise your hand. No, let me say this. To a person that says that, this is what I say. No, you don't know what you did to Jesus. A person who cannot forgive is a person that has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. Let me say it again like this. A person who cannot forgive, a Christian that cannot forgive, is a Christian that's never really known what they've been forgiven of or has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. You know, back over in Matthew 18, a few chapters earlier, you know, Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness. And you've got to remember, these guys grew up under the law, these disciples. And the law says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. In other words, you punch me, I get to punch you. You kill my dog, I get to kill your dog. That's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? But Jesus is talking about this forgiveness stuff. And now, how many of you know that the disciples were constantly jockeying for who was the greatest? And Peter's already a couple notches up on all of them. Because he walked on the water, he was the one that said, you're the Christ. So Peter just 
goes as big as he can think. And he just really stretches it out beyond what he even thinks Jesus wants and goes, Jesus, if my brother sins against me seven times and I forgive him, that's enough, right? Now, Peter's expecting Jesus to look at Peter and go, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't do that. But Jesus looks back at Peter and say, no, not seven times, seven times seven, 70 times seven. That's 490 times. And in Luke's gospel, he says in one day. Now for you to sin against me 490 times in one day means you'd have to do it once every three minutes provided you and I don't go to sleep in that 24 hour period. I don't know anybody that can sin that good. Okay, so you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, hey, your forgiveness is to be inexhaustible, Peter, like your heavenly father's is inexhaustible. Then he says, you know what? I'm gonna tell you a story about this to make sure you get it. So he says, there's this great kingdom and you got this great king and he has servants that owe him money. And this one servant is brought to him and owes him, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna translate it for you, $10 billion. U.S. <laughs> I'm about to go to Brazil in a couple of days, so I gotta make sure I'm, I'm in the right country right now. Okay, now how many of you call $10 billion an unpayable debt? Let me see your hands. If you don't think that's an unpayable debt, Pastor Jurgen wants to talk to you about the South Campus. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what we see immediately is this king is a representation of God the Father because how many of you know we were forgiven of the unpayable debt? I mean, when Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says he took the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, the note of debt, one translation says, and he nailed it to his cross. He forgave us of the unpayable debt. That's why I said a person who cannot forgive is a person that's forgotten what they've been forgiven of. So this servant who's forgiven of this $10 billion debt in the story of Jesus' telling goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him $10,000, right? Now, how many of you know $10,000 isn't a drop in the bucket compared to 10 billion? But $10,000 is no small thing. I mean, if I took from you $10,000 and it was one third of what you make in an entire year, is that one of those things where you go, hey dude, sorry. No problem, bro. What Jesus is communicating here is that this fellow brother has really done him bad. But in comparison, it's not even a drop in the bucket compared to what he was forgiven of. So what Jesus is saying is the very worst thing that we can do to one another, because this, this servant would not forgive his fellow brother. He made him pay for it. So Jesus is saying that the very worst thing we can do to one another is nothing, not even a drop in the bucket compared to what we did to him. So you have to understand, we deserve to burn in hell forever. When Adam sinned against God, God the Father could have looked at Jesus and said, they sinned against us, they chose the devil, let them, let them all go to hell and burn forever, and he would have been perfectly just because our just reward for what we did against God was to burn in flames of fire for eternity and have worms eating us nonstop. That's what people, that's what they live through in hell. I know people personally that have been to hell and were brought back. And Jesus talked about hell twice as much as heaven. So don't think I'm being negative. I'm one of the most positive guys you're gonna meet, okay? But it's a reality. That's what we deserve. That's what I deserved. Now, the worst thin I, sin I can think of that humanity can commit against another human is child molestation. 
That's about the, is, I can't think of much worse. As horrific as that is, it's nothing compared to burning in fire for eternity. But yet that was that child's just reward. That was my just reward. And yet God chose to forgive us when we didn't even deserve it. That's why I said a person who cannot forgive, this person has forgotten what they've been forgiven of or never realized. So the fellow servants see what this guy does. He puts his fellow servant into jail and they see, so they're, they're, they're distraught. And they go to the king and they tell the king. And when the king hears about it, he calls this guy that has already been forgiven of the unpayable debt. And he says, you wicked servant. Notice he doesn't say you wicked heathen. This guy's already been forgiven. You wicked servant, I forgave you of that unpayable debt should you not have had pity and forgiven your brother just as I had pity upon you. Now the Bible doesn't suggest, the Bible commands that we forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake forgave us. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. That's not the Old Testament, this is the New Testament. So the king puts him in jail, the Bible says. Now look at this, until he should pay all that was due. Now, that's the unpayable debt. I'll let you figure that one out. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to comment on that one, but I will let you figure that out. He puts him into the jail to be tormented, turned over to the tormentors. You ever notice people are unforgiveness or tormented? They think they're getting even. They think they're putting somebody else in jail. They're putting them in jail and they're being tormented. Are you with me? Now, Jesus, throughout all the Gospels, has to be asked before he will tell the interpretation of a parable. This is the only parable in all four Gospels. He gives the interpretation without being asked. Because what he has just said is so mind-blowing, he wants to make sure his disciples get it. He said, so shall my heavenly Father do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother, not, not his neighbor, his brother, we're talking servants in the kingdom, his trespasses. See, here's the thing. The way you forgive is the way you are going to be forgiven. You pray it in the Lord's Prayer every day. Listen to what you say. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us the way we forgive those who sin against us. Still with me? Now, this is not a bunch of theory to me. This... Before I was saved, I actually didn't have a lot of trouble forgiving people. After I got saved, it was, it was easy. The love of God's in my heart. It was easy to forgive people. Until there was a man that I greatly loved, admired, and respected. He was like a father to me. In fact, he was closer than my natural father. He had done some things to me over a course of a year that devastated me. And what he had done was so obvious. All kinds of people were coming up to me going, are you okay? I said, hey, I'm fine. They would come up to me and go, are you gonna go to him? No, 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 I'm going on with the call of God in my life. Now, what I didn't realize is I was too proud to admit that I was offended. I saw being offended as a sign of weakness and I'm too proud to say I'm weak. So I kept denying that I was offended. And so you know what happened? Months and months and months go by. And what's happening is the love of God, the passion of God in my heart started drying up all right it's like the reverse of the frog in the kettle do you understand what I'm talking about it was going colder and colder and colder unbeknownst to me what's really scary is that I'm still ministering I'm still preaching and people are getting saved I'm still seeing people get healed and it's 
covering up how dry, because ministry is becoming more like an occupation, not a passion. And I'm living from service to service. In other words, I'm getting weaker and weaker personally. My heart is getting colder and colder. I remember one day, you know, we were in a worship time and Lisa's weeping, tears pouring down. And, and she looks at me and I got this stone cold look on my face. And she goes, John, what's wrong? I said, nothing, nothing. You, you, you're worshiping, I, I'm just meditating. <laughs> it was so bad. Finally, after months and months and months and months, I walked out in my back patio one day. And I just looked up to heaven. I said, God, Father, am I offended? And I heard this on the inside of me. Yes! Now, now, honestly, to this day, it is the loudest I, and the most clear audible I've ever heard the voice of God. That's all I heard was yes. And I remember saying, God, I need help. I've fasted. I have forgiven by faith. I have quoted your word. I've prayed. I can't get out of this. Why am I? I, I I'm just, I need help. So I remember I was on the end of a four-day fast and I went to the service and this man was conducting the service. And I remember I was sitting way in the back and about two-thirds of the way through the service, the wells opened up and I just started bawling. And I'm not much of a crying guy, but tears are just pouring down and I, I go, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And I remember walking out of that service thinking, oh, it's finally done. I asked God to help me, it's done, right? Well, two weeks later, I see him again. And now I'm sitting there going, how can he be so blessed? He did this to me, and he did that to me, and he did this to me. He did that to that person, and he did this to that person, and he did this to that person. I remember I left feeling beat up. I went home talking about it with my wife. I talked about it at lunch. I thought about it that afternoon. I went, at dinner, I was talking about how badly he treated me and other people. At night, I went to bed that night thinking about it. I got up thinking about it. I got in the shower thinking about it, and then I got scared. I thought, I cried like a baby two weeks ago, yet I'm still so tormented. What is going on? Now, there was a principle I didn't understand. I need somebody who works out a lot, who's really strong. There you go, right here. What's your name, buddy? Charles. Jump up here, Charles. Now, there's a principle that I, now, now face me, Charles. There's a principle I didn't understand. Now, I can walk up to Charles and I can do this. <laughs> Did you like that? No. Oh, thank you, you're honest. You know, you can't believe how many times people have said, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, Charles is okay. I hit him hard, but now I could take this and I could go. Now, you know what's gonna happen if I do that? I'm gonna wound him. Now I want you to listen to me. There are some offenses that hit us. When they hit us, we don't like it. But when it's over, we're okay. It's like water off a duck's back. There are other offenses that hit us that wound us. And wounds don't heal overnight. And if wounds aren't properly treated, they never heal. Are you still friends with me? Still Thanks. I love you, man. Thanks so much. <laughs> See, all you people at North Campus, just be glad you weren't here today. Okay, so 20 years ago, I'm in Hawaii, and I'm doing this conference, Suffering for Jesus, okay? Second to last day of the conference, I decide to play tourist, all right? Some of you will get that in an hour. And then, and, and, and I go to climb a wall during the day, and this wall is kind of a rock wall, and I put my foot on it, Leanne, Pastor Leanne, and I hear this, like a snap. And I go, ah, right? And my wife and the pastor are laughing at me, associate pastor are laughing at me. When I get down, I can't walk. They have to help me back to the car. In the next six weeks, I'm in crutches and braces, okay? So the next day, a physical therapist is working on my knee in Hawaii, and he's not saved, and he owns this gym. We're in the gym. 
And he goes, hey. And he's really, really kind of cocky. He goes, you want to know why you injured your knee yesterday? He said, you know, most people climbing that wall wouldn't have injured their knees, but you did. And I was like mad at him. I said, okay, why did I injure my knee and most people wouldn't? He said, because you're out of shape. You don't exercise. It's like, whoa. And I started thinking about how right he was. See, the reason I chose Charles is because he's in shape. If I would have hit most of you like I hit him, there would have been have to be a chiropractor working on you tomorrow. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? So I thought about it. I thought there are people that are not very in shape spiritually. They're hardly ever reading the Bibles. They're not praying in the spirit and building themselves up on their most holy faith. The only word they're getting is Sunday morning from Sunday morning or maybe a connect group, but that's it. And so you try eating like that for a week and you're gonna be in trouble. You're gonna be weak. You're gonna be prone to injury. Then there's other people like my next door neighbor who's a WWF wrestler, was a WWF wrestler. This was a couple of years ago. He weighed 240 pounds, 4% body fat. Okay, and I saw guitars broken over his head. I saw chairs broken over his back. I watched 400 pound people land on top of him and he'd get up like nothing happened. If that happened with any of us, we'd probably be in traction, right? You understand what I'm saying? Well, there are some people that are like that in the spirit. And that's what the Bible means when it says, great peace of them that love your word and nothing can offend them. So just as there are people that are prone to offense, why are they prone? Because they're weak spiritually. Okay? So I get on the plane and I fly to Indonesia. Another physical therapist is working on my knee. He goes, Mr. Bevere, you want to know how to get your knee healed? I said, yes, tell me, please. He said, exercise every day and showed me the exercise to do. I thought, started thinking about it. I thought, athlete gets injured. What do they do? Physical therapy. Focus exercise to get their knee back to where it was before it was injured. Are you following me? Yeah. So the Holy Spirit said to me, that's what you need to do. You need to exercise. I said, how do I exercise? And the Lord said, read Matthew 5. So I'm reading Matthew 5, and I get down to the 45th verse, and look what I find. Jesus said, but I tell you, pray for anyone who mistreats you. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus never said, pray for your mother. You will never show me any verse in the Bible, Catholic or Protestant, that Jesus said, pray for your mother. Now, does that mean we don't pray for our mother? No, you better pray for your mother. But what I find interesting, he doesn't say pray for your dad, pray for your children, pray for your brothers, pray for you. He says pray for those who mistreat you. So the Lord said to me, he said, that's the way you exercise. You need to pray for that man that has wounded you. So I got up from the table. I went, Father, bless him in Jesus' name. (laughs) The next day, Lord, if you can, bless him. The next day, Oh, by the way, Jesus, bless him. That's the way I prayed for the next five weeks. Now, when I got no better, but rather, that's like lifting a penny. I got no better, but got worse. I'm in prayer again. I'm on a fast again. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, read Psalm 35. I have no idea what Psalm 35 said. So I go over to Psalm 35 and look what it says. It says, evil people pay me back evil for good. And I sink in despair. I said, hey, that's me. I did this guy good. He paid me back evil. So I'm thinking, all right, the next verse, David's going to say, like, bust out their teeth. You know, like they do in the Psalms. But look what David says. He said, but when they, now this is the people that did me evil when I did them good. But when they were sick, I dressed in mourning. I deprived myself of food. I prayed with my head bowed low as I would pray for my friend or brother. And the Lord said to me, 
You pray for that man, what you want me to do in your life or your family. That was a game changer. I got up from the table and I started praying. I said, God, I pray that he would walk as closely with you as a man can walk with you. I pray that he would know you the best a man can know you. I pray that his intentions and his motives would be as pure as Jesus. I pray that you would surround him with your presence, that the anointing of God would increase upon his life, that you bring finances from unexpected quarters for him to fulfill what you've called him to do. I started praying for his wife and his children, his family. I prayed that he would have godly counselors around him, not wicked and corrupt people. You know what? Can I tell you honestly? It took everything in me to pray that. It was painful to pray that. See, here's the mistake many Christians make. They think, will you pray what feels good? No, you don't. Do you think it feels good when that guy's on physical therapy and they're going through it? I remember when I went through physical therapy, I wanted to hit the girl. Okay? So, so feeling good is an indication that you're praying right. Obedience to the word of God is the indication you're praying right. Sure is quietness, Methodist church. <laughs> okay, so, so, so I remember that morning I got, I got up and I started, I started praying that way. And I started praying that way for a couple weeks and it was painful. But after a couple weeks, I started getting a little spark in my prayer. And then a few more weeks, I started having energy in my prayer. And now I'm praying with passion. What happened? I'm getting healed. And I remember one morning I'm out praying and I scream this guy's name out. I go, so and so, I love you. And when I said I love you, it was like junk came out of me. It was like literally I vomited junk out of my spirit. I know it's the only way I know how to describe it. And I sat, I stood there. I was actually in a remote place outside and I thought, I'm healed. I'm healed. I went home, told my wife, I said, I'm healed. I mean, this has been a battle for over a year. I'm healed. Saw the guy a couple weeks later. Another little eh on the inside. I thought, now what? Now, my wife, who is so prophetic, it's scary. Okay? I mean, literally, between her and the Holy Spirit, I can't get away with anything, and I like that, okay? But Lisa sits me down on the couch, and she goes, Honey, you need to go to him. I jumped up off the couch. I said, No, 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 no. Uh uh, uh uh. I prayed, I'm healed, everything's good. So I went out and prayed. I said, God, do I need to go to him? The Lord said, yes. Now, you know when Jesus said, come here, John, Pastor John. You know when Jesus said, go to your brother? Can I show you how most people interpret that? Pastor John, I just went to you and know you did this, you did this, you did this, but I forgive you. Okay, what in the world is that person doing? He's using that scripture where Jesus says, go to your brother and to beat him up and tell, tell you how badly you've treated me. That is not what Jesus had in mind. When Jesus says, go to your brother, here, come here. He says, have the intention of reconciliation. Now, there is a huge difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And most Christians don't get it. They lump the two together. Uh Uh-uh, there's a big difference. Okay, how do you tell the difference? Look at the cross. When did Jesus forgive us? When he hung on the cross and said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. He wasn't just speaking about the soldiers and the sand. He was speaking the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. Right now to you and me because our sins put him there. So he forgave us before we ever said, I'm sorry. See, you know how many times I've met Christians and they go, hey, stay with me, John, I'm sorry. <laughs> Pastor John, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Do you know how many times I've met Christians and they go, they go, I'll forgive them when they apologize. What if Jesus would have waited for you to apologize before he forgave you? We would have been in hell. Okay, but now we weren't reconciled to Jesus until when? We repented and said, 
I'm sorry, you were right, I was wrong, forgive me. What led us to repentance? The Bible says the goodness and kindness of God led us to repentance. Do you know what Jesus, I mean, didn't God cause the sun to shine on you before you were saved? So you know what Jesus is saying? Go to your friend and create an atmosphere of goodness that's gonna wanna make him say, I'm sorry. When you say you did this and this and this and this, you know what he, he does? He goes, excuse me. And there's no reconciliation. So this is what the Lord led me to do through my wife, Lisa. I bought this guy a gift, a really nice gift, a gift I'd like to have. That's a gift. <laughs> and I brought it to him and I gave it to him. I, I met with him. Well, he opens up this gift and his eyes just go like this, right? He's in shock. He just goes, thank you. And he, he, he's speechless. And that opened the door. So this is the way I opened it up. I said, hey, I want you to forgive me. And he looks at me like, what? I said, I've been critical of you. I've been judgmental of you. And I'm so wrong. He goes, no, you've not been critical of me. I said, oh yeah, I have. <laughs> and well, you know what it did? It opened him up and he shared. And you know what happened? We came together. And we've been like this ever since. John, thank you. Pastor John, thank you. I, I, I remember I, I, looked at, I looked at my wife. I looked at my wife a couple days later. Thank you. I looked at my wife a couple days later and I said, wow. I said, babe, when I first met him, he could do no wrong in my eyes and I, I was so in love with him. I said, then I saw his faults and his faults were directed toward me and I didn't love him anymore. I said, you know what? I still see his faults, but I love him with the passion that I did when I first met him. I said, Lisa, that's gotta be the love of God because the love of God covers the multitude of sins. My life, my ministry, everything exploded. Lisa and I can go back and mark that day that I went to his office, everything's changed everything. Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, he said, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Do you know what Jesus is saying? If you breathe air, you're going to have the opportunity to be offended. Now, what you do at the offense will determine your future. Either you become stronger or you become bitter. The Greek word offense there is the Greek word scandalon. It's actually an ancient Greek word that was originally used to describe the bait stick of a trap that hunters would use to catch animals and small birds. The, the hunter would put the bait on the scandal on, the animal would take it and the trap would close and either capture or kill the animal. Thereby an offense is the bait of Satan to pull you, the believer, into his captivity. Paul confirms this in 2 Timothy where he says, those who are in opposition, those who are offended with one another are taken captive of Satan at Satan's will. Now the scary thing is you can still be in ministry, still sing worship songs, but instead of releasing pure rivers of living water, you're releasing rivers tainted with bitterness. Do you have the right to be offended? You have the right to do anything. If you want to walk with God, if you want his presence, you don't have the right to be offended. Final story. I'm getting ready to speak on a conference, speak in a conference. And <clears throat> before I got up, this gentleman gets up. The, the, the host of the conference invites this 36-year-old man to get up. The guy's got a beard. He looks like he has construction clothes on. Okay? He looks tough, but he's crying. 
It's like really weird. Here's a tough looking guy crying. And he says, he said, I've been in church almost all my life. He says, and there's always been a wall between me and the presence of God. He said, I'll be in services. People are weeping, they're getting touched. And I feel like there's this wall. He said, all my life. He said, then a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, actually it was, he said, somebody put in my hands this book, The Bait of Satan. He said, I read the whole book in two days. He said, when I got done with the book, I realized I had held an offense against my mother for 36 years. He said, because my mother, when I was six months old, gave me away. He said, I held an offense against her. I didn't forgive her for 36 years. He said, I called my mom, talked to her for the second time in 36 years. He said, Mother, I've, I've held unforgiveness against you for 36 years for giving me away. She started weeping. She said, I've hated myself for 36 years for giving you away. He forgave her. She forgave herself. And this is where it gets good. Now the guy's tears are pouring off his beard onto his shirt. He said, now, he said, the wall that's been there for 36 years between me and God, it's gone. He said, I've been crying like this in my prayer closet every time I go into worship service. He said, this is amazing. Do you have the right to be offended? Yes, you have the right to be offended. You have the right to do anything. But if you want to walk with God, no, you do not have the right to be offended.